Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy, along with a composer, a singer, a ceramicist and a rock and roll nurse. This time, soprano Elizabeth Hilliard shares on the special vocal demands of working with contemporary composers, Lizzie Fitzpatrick on being equally drawn to nursing and her rock and roll career with Irish band Bitch Falcon, and Jennifer Alford on Love at First Sight in the collections of the National Museum. But first... It's funny how potent cheap music can be. The world is starting to turn again, but putting aside for a moment the various reasons why that might not be 100% super, is it even the same world that's spinning up? Is it a world where early Beatle covers hold magical powers, where there's music in the cafes at night and revolution in the air? How about two-thirds of that? Here's Jennifer Walsh's latest Things Know Things. Last week, I travelled to France to work with some musicians in a studio there. It was the first time I've been able to travel for work since October, and it was both overwhelming and deeply exciting. I left London early on the day the travel restrictions lifted, armed with a negative PCR, my vaccine record and reams of other documents. And after a long day on multiple trains, I found myself walking through the streets of Reims as the light faded around me. New surroundings for the first time in almost a year. New sights, new smells. I walked to the apartment I would stay in in the fading light, taking in all the new information. France had just moved the curfew from 9pm to 11 and you could feel the energy in the streets. There was a sort of a festival air. People drinking in the parks, laughter and snatches of conversation floating to me on the warm air as I made my way through the streets. Rounding a corner, I came upon a crowd of people clustered inside and outside a bar, and I was confronted with a sound I haven't heard for a very long time. A most wonderful sound. The sound of a crowd of people in close proximity belting out pop songs at the top of their lungs. They were singing Twist and Shout, a fine song, but not one I'd ever put on a mixtape or ask a DJ to play. In that moment, though, it was perfection. That evening, as I went to sleep, I thought about a Spotify patent I had read recently. The patent was lodged earlier this year. It's for a voice assistant within the Spotify app, which can make music recommendations. The idea is that you can open Spotify up and tell it you want to listen to, oh, I don't know, a mid-tempo Turkish funk track and it will serve you something fantastic. The system is pretty involved. It doesn't just decode the words you're saying, it uses machine learning to infer your gender, age, emotional state and accent from the tone of your voice. It analyzes the sound of the place you're making the request in, whether from your bed, alone, late at night, or in a car with all your family, and takes that into account too before it makes its recommendation. Very sophisticated. Terrifyingly invasive. Ultimately, though, I would wager that it would never, ever be able to serve me twist and shout on a street in France as a country's restrictions lighten. The 
The enduring power of twist and shout there in Jennifer Walsh's latest Things Know Things, the complete back catalogue of which you can find on the Culture Files SoundCloud page. You might find casting your new Brunhilde a bit of a task, but try finding a vocalist with the skills to interpret the sound of clockwork automata or breaking spaghetti or the speeches of Mary Robinson. That's when things get tricky. Luckily, soprano Elizabeth Hilliard has made a specialty in exactly this kind of off-the-beaten-track vocal creation. Her latest collaboration with Gronya Mulvey premieres at this week's Dublin International Chamber Music Festival. It filters the speeches of Irish activists from Rosie Hackett to Mary's Robinson and McAleese into an otherworldly sound. Elizabeth Hilliard spoke to Culturefile about a journey into extended vocal technique. You know, music doesn't have to be just on the five lines and four spaces. Like as a child, I never wanted to write a tune. I really disliked that part of theory class where we were asked to create something. I love interpreting. When I'm performing a piece of contemporary music, the notes and the score are created by someone else. But if I don't put a huge amount of creative energy into it, it won't happen or it'll happen differently. The notes are decided already, but nothing else is. It started before I could sing, really. When I was a child, I loved singing, but as a teenager, I really lost my voice. Um, I was a piano player and a violin player. I played piano from the age of three and violin from the age of eight. And I was in grade eight theory class with Anne Leahy in the College of Music. And Anne loved Baroque music, but the course was on contemporary music. And she played Berio Sequenza number three. And I had never heard anything like this before. And I was just absolutely blown away by such a different sound. So using normal sound like laughing, giggling, sighing, it affected me to such an extent that our English teacher asked us to bring in a piece of art, a film and talk about it. And I said, can I bring in this Berio Sequenza 3? I don't think anyone will have heard anything like it before. And the class loved it. When I got into singing, I always kind of said, I wonder can I go down this contemporary route? Working with somebody like Gronia, she can imagine parts of my voice that I wouldn't know existed. I mean, I'll be looking at the score and I'll say, I don't know what that's going to sound like, and I'll try it. I'll say, oh, that sounds amazing. And then at other times, I'm working with other composers and I make suggestions about, well, have you thought about doing this? And I, I'll do some, create some, com- some sounds. That's, that's, that's wonderful. How might we notate that? I worked with the artist Louise Manifold. Louise had been working in the the Museum of Art and History in Neuchâtel, where there's 300-year-old automata. Jacques Droz created them. And these are three small figures that operate on clockwork. And they had travelled the world. And she'd been filming them over a number of years, filming the insides of them, how, how they were manipulated... They have a number of different costumes and she decided she wanted to create a performance for them because they would have spent the year touring, spent the years, they're now based in in Switzerland, but they would have been travelled all around the world. People came to see them 
and she wanted to create an opera scene where a singer would come and sing and I was singing very close to these amazing objects. We worked with a system of graphic scores. So Louise said, I, I can't, can't notate music. And I said, well, you know, music doesn't have to be just on the five lines and four spaces. And she is an amazing artist. So she made these ink drawings, which were just fabulous. And it was kind of like the inside, the inside of someone's mind. So some of them were, were these drawings. Some of our sessions, she had reco- made recordings of, of the automata and I was having them in headphones and then improvising. I'm just back from performing in Carlo with Ensemble. We performed Jennifer Walsh's A Folk Song Collection, which is 30 short snippets. And I, she was inspired. She was teaching aural training, I think, in, in America. And there was all these folk songs which didn't have any dynamics. They didn't have any articulation. She found these texts in, I presume, on buses, on in the underground. Some of them were written down and she just put put some notes to them but then it's completely up to the interpreter as to what they do with that we also performed jennifer walsh's watched over lovingly by silent machines in 2016 and this was extremely detailed there was five singers there was a video and it was like from one minute and three seconds until one minute and 10 seconds break up some spaghetti from one minute and 30 seconds to one minute and 39 seconds play with a rubik's cube and then some very detailed um, singing instructions and making sounds, so going between mm and mm kind of material. Very, very detailed, very, very clear what it was you were meant to do at every moment. Working in this way, it just allows me to be my whole complete self. So I love singing leader. I love singing opera and, the you know, making this beautiful legato line. But sometimes if I just have to sing maybe five semi, semi-breves and just keep my voice the same, I feel I'm just putting it into a box. Whereas when I'm expected to bring a wide variety of sung unsung imagined sound it can just bring my more more complete self to the picture did you see mr p on my case i call it wicked he has taken the opportunity of my being locked up to try and create an impression that i am advocating a general pogrom of the police if he succeeds in creating this impression he will also create a situation of grave danger for every policeman in Ireland. Both myself and Gronya are quite passionate about wanting change for, for women's rights. We decided we'd create this piece. She suggested 
the inauguration speeches of Mary Robinson and Mary McAleese. And I said, well, well, will we bookend it and have some of the words of maybe Countess Markovich and Rosie Hackett? And I said, wouldn't it be great if we could create a musical piece that shows the journey that has happened within Irish society? I mean, we don't show the full journey. We just have, have, have moments. Gorney's music, it's very surprising. You never know what you're going to get kind of like exploring the planets when some other music might just explore your local area. But the opening um, where I'm, it starts with, we have, we have, we have, we have, we have, got to, we have, got to, we have, got to. And over the course of the first four minutes, I build up to saying, we have got to get rid of the last vestige of the harem until woman is free as our dream of the future would have her. So it's this really long introduction, but you feel like you're speaking on behalf of every woman or every person that has ever experienced um, their voice has been not listened to. So I'm speaking on like it's the unheard voices and just this multitude, and it, it's it's amazing to to, to perform that. Elizabeth Hilliard there and the world premiere of Gronia Mulvey's Great Women with Elizabeth Hilliard is available to stream until Sunday, June 27th. Tickets free from DICMF.com. Now to the museum. It's not the most instantly compelling item in the National Museum, a curious pocked piece of orange-dappled wood with a bolt of iron wedged in and marked in white paint, Drumboholy Lower County Kerry 10.1.35. But for ceramicist Jennifer Alford, who was invited along with a group of other makers to find a piece in the collection that might inspire their own work, this was the thing that whispered her name. Alford's ceramic response is now on show at Col- Collins Barracks, along with 21 other National Museum-inspired pieces in ceramics and jewellery. It's all part of an exhibition called Inform, which it's now even possible to visit. But before that, Anya Gallagher spoke to Jennifer Alford about music and ceramics and the journey from one into the other. Oh, that, that's a story. <laughs> um, well, I, I definitely have had a circuitous route here. So my name is Jennifer Alford. I'm a ceramic artist. I am originally from Temple Oak and Dublin. I'm currently living in Edinburgh. I started off with a sort of, I was definitely going to go go down the musical route. I studied violin at the Royal Irish Academy and I studied music and English at UCD. And I was involved in bands and uh, I did some composition. But I kind of hit a wall with regard to music. I kind of bottled it a bit and uh, went into corporate world. But I was the whole time kind of there thinking, why am I here? I should be an artist. I should be doing other things. But it, it, I, had a, I had, you know, rent to pay and food to pay and a life to live. So about 10 years ago, I lost my father and I started just expressing myself and I suppose dealing with bereavement through art and I discovered clay 
And it just was one of those materials that when you find your your voice or you find the material that allows you to express yourself, it, it just sort of sits right. And so I I did lots of courses, um, self-taught and and did sort of evening classes, but I, I couldn't get that that level of skill that you get when you learn an instrument where you kind of you go and you learn all the, the scales and the discipline of it. I was desperate for this. Then I heard about this um, magical place called Thomastown uh, where they taught you basically the production skills and uh, kiln technology and how to make your glazes, the glaze chemistry. Uh, the exhibition um, is on in the National Museum of Ireland at the moment. It's called Inform. It began as a concept for between the, the Design and Craft Council of Ireland and the National Museum of Ireland to basically provide a platform for ceramicists and jewellers to respond to the collection. We were allowed access to the collection, which was uh, something that has never never happened to me before. And we were told to choose an item, an object that kind of spoke to us. So I went in with sort of no expectations, although in the back of my mind, I wanted to find uh, something that was Irish. Um, but the, the options were, you know, absolutely incredible. Uh, so I, I went and uh, wandered about and saw... Uh, a selection of rushlight holders, which were old candle holders, uh, but instead of candles, which were too expensive back in the day, um, they used rushes um, and they would dip them in tallow and then use these to light their houses. They had a very dramatic quality and and they reminded me of little people. They had a sort of anthropomorphic quality and this just added to my kind of desire to respond to this particular thing. It's, it's a very simple household object which you know with Ireland's literary tradition I kind of was imagining you know it would be on the table maybe a family were reading able to read with it a very very humble object um, made with a piece of iron stuck into a, a piece of a beautiful aged piece of wood and then uh, Covid hit and I was sent back to Edinburgh uh, without any access to clay. So I ended up having to do a lot of my work on the page. And what started out as, as, as sketches of this this character became a character in my mind. Um, it it kind of developed into sort of hieroglyphs and then uh, into, into various different images. I think it, it sort of kind of took me over and the imagery kind of got very, very wild and quite out of control, which... I'm very heavily influenced by abstract expressionism. It was that kind of just sort of a moment of purity and, and it just felt absolutely right. And so this, this Rush-like character evolved. When I was lucky enough to be able to go back to Thomastown, I was able to create a porcelain form with this Rush-like character imagery on it. And inside is there a hidden, a little porcelain charm. And I do kind of, I do kind of dramatise these kind of things. I certainly developed uh, muscles over the two years in Thomastown. Pottery is not a is not a sport for um, people who don't want to get their hands dirty, literally. And also, I mean, it's it's hard work. It's hard graft, lifting and moving things, and you know, it it is. You do become very physically strong. 
but uh, I think the music is, is always there in the background and maybe it's kind of learning learning something I the way I work is I like to learn something I like to become not not quite an expert at something but I do like to have the skills and the knowledge and then to kind of put it through whatever the filter that I am and then allow it to kind of come out as free as it can but I can only do that with the kind of confidence that I have the skills behind me So it's a it's a box form. It echoes the plinth of the the rushlight holder, which is a, a sort of rectangular wooden plinth. Um, the box form itself is made from porcelain, and I chose porcelain um, primarily because of its surface quality. It's a beautiful pure white um, material. It's incredibly difficult to work with, very tricky, and I was there was many tears as I as I made my piece um, it, it you know it's just a very fussy material um, and then upon the upon the white box form there is imagery and it's basically a black quite a wild sketch of a character kind of just basically traveling across the box um, and then there's a hole in the in the middle of the, the the top of it and then the character sort of disappears inside museum have asked to acquire my piece so you know in my head I have this kind of the the two pieces are are married together now in the museum and the collection for for posterity Jennifer Alford there and the reporter was Anya Gallagher and all the works from the Inform project are waiting for you to visit them at Collins Barracks, Dublin. But first, book your slot on museum.ie. And finally, this time on the Culture File Weekly, we're remembering both rock and roll and nursing pre-pandemic. For Irish music fans, Lizzie Fitzpatrick is the lead singer with the band Bitch Falcon, as well as a solo artist and remixer under the moniker Cool Girl. But Fitzpatrick is also a hospital theatre nurse, a combination that makes perfect sense to her. She spoke to Louis Scully about the sentimental education of a rocker-slash-nurse. Well, I think I got into nursing because of blood and guts, and <laughs> I wanted to be near them. <laughs> I'm Lizzie Fitzpatrick. I'm a nurse by day. And then by night and weekend, I play in Pitch Falcon. I'm the singer and uh, guitarist. In school, we were the Goths, and throughout all the years, like from sixth year to first year, the Goths stuck together. And it was actually more 
exhibitionism rather than anything else. Like we just we were like tribes. We were just decked out in all of our stuff, and we wanted to look as weird as possible. Non-uniform day was always like the best day, and so my friends dared me to like get loads of eyeshadow and like draw it all the way down and so every class I would sit in and stare at people and try to be as weird as possible and this one teacher came up to me and she was like Lizzie are you okay? Have you been crying? And I was like no I've been crying I'm trying to be a goth I'm trying to be cool. didn't really know what to do when I was finishing up in school and my mom just said do nursing because it'll just keep you going and you can always leave if you have to. I work in operate theatre so in the morning get in there and start to prep for what surgery is coming up. All the doctors have preference sheets and you have to get all their right bits together. It's small enough it's all kind of like maybe removals of gallbladders and small bits and bobs. So they come in in the morning, get your gallbladder out and go home the same day. So it's just a kind of rapid fire of loads of patients. Favourite procedure? Well, there's ones that are just, I like to look at and there's ones that I like to work at because it's a nice job. Plastics is always really nice. I like the fat grafts because uh, it's pretty cool when you take, you know, like liposuction and it's not for cosmetic, it's just for say, say someone has had like a previous injury and they have a defect in their face or somewhere and so they would take fat out from somewhere and then inject it in. They like take all the fat and then they put it into these syringes and then I take all the syringes and I put it into a centrifuge and they swirl around and, and then you tap out all the serum and the blood and you just get left with fat. You put that in a syringe and then you inject that into a defect. It's pretty cool. That's my favourite one to work on. I like it. Everyone hates it. I like it. I don't know why. Uh, my favourite one to look at so far was in main theatre. It was a bigger one and that's in neck dissection. And that's like a full, full dissection of your whole face. I could go into detail with that, but I don't want to. <laughs> I miss working the ward sometimes because you get, you know, like loads of really nice people and you hear really cool stories. You just get all sorts of people and all these different lives led. I kind of encountered that when I was studying nursing. I get incredibly nervous before I go on, but as soon as I go on stage, it's completely gone. So I know no matter how nervous I am before, I'm going to be fine. But it's just a weird thing that happens when my body just gets crazy nervous, even for tiny shows, like even more so when it's a smaller show because I think people can see me a bit more. So there's nothing to hide. There's no curtain, I guess. A Bitch Falcon show is very loud. Very, very loud. People would have uh, described it as intense, maybe. I like performing in the kind of maybe traditional rock way. Jump around, scream the head off. Throw myself down on the knees. I like watching intense performances and it's fun to do as well, but my knees don't really like it. They turn black a lot. Jumping around, left, right, yeah. <laughs> 
signature rock and roll <laughs> It's always really sweet, you know, when people are like, would you not go on X Factor and, and do you write your own music? <laughs> Which is a typical thing. But no, they, it's very sweet. A lot of them like have come out to like gigs and, you know, a lot of them might be like older or feel very old. Like, you know, I have a colleague, Liz, and she's like, she's in her 40s. Like, she's not old, but she feels very old. And she was in Wheelands. She's like, I haven't been in Wheelands in years. And she was I wooed at the crowd and a girl looked at me. <laughs> it's really sweet, like all these like nurses just going up. Like... Lizzie Fitzpatrick of Bitch Falcon there. Louis Scully was the reporter. And Bitch Falcon's live album, Staring at Clocks, is available now on Bandcamp and to stream wherever you do that. You do do that, don't you? And that brings to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more rock and roll first aid next Saturday tea time. Till then, bye now.